I actually have a title for my sermon this week. I don't often have a title for it, but the title is Finding True Satisfaction in Jesus. Finding True Satisfaction in Jesus, and I'll invite you to find John chapter 6 in your Bibles. We're going to take a break from 1 Corinthians this week since we have the Lord's Supper. I wanted to talk a little bit about the meaning of the Lord's Supper, and our sermon is going to come from John chapter 6, starting at verse 25. As you're finding it, John chapter 6, verse 25, what we're going to read in this passage is the story of people seeking Jesus for satisfaction and not receiving it. Just before the passage we're going to read is the story when Jesus feeds over 5,000 people with one kid's lunchable. A kid had five small loaves of bread and two small fish. And Jesus fed a multitude of over 5,000 people. And then he left and they found him a little bit later. And they expressed to him basically the two words that we always dreaded hearing from our kids when they were little. Our kids when they were little, I think Elias would agree, maybe he can remember this. We would make them a meal put it all out, everybody would eat, we'd clean it all up. As soon as we put the last thing away, one of the kids would come to us with those two dreaded words, still hungry, still hungry. Oh, I could get stuff back out. I thought we were done with meal. That's in essence what the crowd, sorry, that got really loud. That's in essence what the crowd does to Jesus. Let's read together John chapter 6. Starting at verse 25, we'll read through verse 35. Just listen, listen to the story of what happened and the, uh, the interchange between Jesus and the crowd. When they found Jesus on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the true bread from heaven. I'm sorry, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven. And gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The message for us this morning, which it may be a reminder to some of you who have already learned this lesson, or it may be you might be hearing it as if for the first time is that when we ask Jesus for things that don't last, he often redirects us to things that do last. When we come to Jesus asking for things that do not last, 
he often redirects us to things that do last. The people were seeking Jesus, but just for more bread. And so he redirected him. That's what we saw there in verses 26 and 27. Verse 26, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs. In other words, you're not seeking me because you saw me feed 5,000 people and you're thinking maybe this man is from God and has a message from God and should be followed and worshipped even. So you're not coming because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You're coming because you got some good bread and you want more. He sees right through their pursuit. And then verse 27, he redirects them. Do not work for the food that perishes or doesn't last, but for the food that endures or does last to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. He takes them from seeking food that perishes, food that doesn't last, to food that endures, food that does last. Now, he's still this way with us today. Have any of you experienced praying for something that you really want and Jesus stubbornly refusing to give it to you? Has that ever happened to any of you? For these people, they were requesting bread. Bread is good, but Jesus is not going to give them bread. For us, it might be something that seems equally good, some resolved, some resolved situation within our family or some resolved health situation. It's a good thing. We know that God wants good things for us, and yet he doesn't give it to us. Well, this is going to happen to you a lot. And when Jesus doesn't give you what you're asking for, it's not because he doesn't love you, and it's not because he doesn't hear you. It's because he's going to redirect you to something more enduring. Think about it this way. Picture a parent who gives their child everything they ask for. I want candy. Here's some candy. I need some money. Here's some money. I want a new video game. Well, here's a bunch of new video games. I want to go someplace fun. Well, let's, I will go someplace fun. We'll go wherever you want every day. Now, is that a good parent or a bad parent? Well, I think most of us would say that's probably not good parenting to give your child everything they want. We would say that because children don't always know what is good for them. Children are craving machines. They want, 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 want all the time. We can't base what we give them just on what they ask for. We have to know better than they do what's best for them. And so it is with Jesus. If Jesus doesn't give you what you're asking for, it's because he wants to give you something better. And what is this something better? What is this enduring food that he talks about? Well, it's himself. It's Jesus himself. He brings them along slowly to this revelation. Verse 27, he says, I want you to have the food that endures to eternal life. Verse 32, he says, I want you to have the true bread from heaven. Verse 33, he starts to show them what this bread is, this true bread, this bread from heaven. He says, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then finally, by verse 35, he just is saying it very plainly. I am the bread of life. It's me. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. 
And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Enduring satisfaction is only found in Jesus Christ. The reason we don't give children everything they ask for is because we know as adults that what they're asking for often is not going to satisfy them for very long. Children want candy for three meals a day. We could give them candy for three meals a day, but we know as parents within 15 minutes after each meal they're going to be starving, they're going to be hungry. Candy tastes great, it's great in the moment, but it doesn't satisfy for very long. Want more toys. A new toy is great for a little bit, but it doesn't satisfy for very long. New video game is super fun for a little bit, but it doesn't satisfy for very long. And so wise parents don't just try to satisfy their children with these things. Now, I'm not saying a good parent should never give their kids anything fun. I'm just saying a parent should never seek their child's satisfaction by giving them these things. Because this is the way God is with us. The reason Jesus redirects our requests away from what we're asking for often to himself is because whoever goes to him shall not hunger. Whoever believes in him shall never thirst. You may already be aware of this, but any formal academic study that has been done on the subject has found that the richer you are, the more wealthy you are, the more prone you are to depression and anxiety. I mean, you would think the more, the more stuff I get, the more pleasurable my life will be and the happier I will be. But most of the time it doesn't work out that way because those things don't satisfy the soul. Jesus knows what satisfies our souls. The things that we think we want are often just shadows of the things that we really need. Like the kid who wants sugar needs nutrients. The hunger beneath all your hunger is actually for Jesus, whether you realize it or not. The thirst beneath all your thirsts is actually for Jesus, whether you realize it or not. The need beneath all your wants is actually for Jesus, whether you realize it or not. So how do we receive enduring satisfaction in Jesus? This passage teaches that you receive it by believing in him. And that's a very churchy phrase, believing in him, believe in Jesus. This is why these people did not receive satisfaction from Jesus. They didn't believe. Back in verse 28, their first response to him, then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus had just said, don't labor for perishable food, labor for enduring food that God's going to give you. And they said, we want enduring food, we want better food. What kind of work do we need to do? To get it. Verse 29, Jesus answered them, This is the work of God. This is what you need to do to get the enduring food. Believe in him whom he has sent. Believe. And then later toward the end there, verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Verse 36, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. So here we see in the example of this crowd that it's very possible to see Jesus and come to Jesus and even make requests of Jesus, pray, ask for things that you would like in your life to happen. 
It's possible to do all that without ever actually receiving Jesus, without actually believing in Jesus, and thus not finding any satisfaction at all. Belief, the Christian idea of belief, is a singular thing. It's a specific thing. And it's easily confused with counterfeit versions of belief. Christian belief is not wishful belief. It's not the kind of belief that says, if I try really hard with all my might and I really believe, then it'll come true. Like wishing on a star or uh, Santa Claus faith. If we all just will believe, if we'll have faith, Santa will be real. That's not what Christian belief is. Christian belief is not superstitious belief. I find this soothing, so I choose to believe it. It's a way of soothing myself, like a, a lucky rabbit's foot in my pocket or some mantra that I say. That's not what Christian belief is. Christian belief is not intellectual belief. I believe it's factually true, the way historians believe George Washington had wooden teeth. That's not what Christian belief is, just believing a set of facts about Jesus. It's not blind leap of faith belief. I'll believe without any evidence or thought. That's cult belief. That's not what Christian belief is either. Christian belief is what I'll call persuaded trust. Christian belief is persuaded trust. The word belief in the Greek language, what we have translated into English, literally means to have been persuaded. And in context, whenever you see it used in the Bible, it has the idea of trust or entrustedness. It's persuaded entrustedness to Jesus. That's what Christian belief is. At uh, camp last year, I had the opportunity to teach the young kids, and we were trying to teach them the gospel, and I was trying to teach them about belief. And uh, we came up with an illustration that I thought worked pretty well. All the counselors had these cool hammocks. It was, it was the end thing. Every year there's some end thing that all the counselors have. And that year it was these hammocks that were really easy to put up, single-person hammocks. And so we strung one of those hammocks up in the chapel and called one of the little girls to come forward to, to be our volunteer for the illustration. And, and we said to the little girl, this hammock is made of breathable, quick-drying nylon. It's blue and colorful and it looks cool. It's heavy duty. The seams are triple stitched, not single stitched, not double stitched, triple stitched seams. It's secured by aluminum wire gate carabiners that will not break or give way. It's made in the USA. It's super comfortable. It can hold up to 400 pounds. Do you believe in this hammock? Of course, the little girl says, well, yeah, I believe in the hammock. Now, for many people, that's where their Christian faith stops. Jesus Christ is God's son. I believe it. Jesus Christ is the Savior for our sins. He died on the cross for our sins. I believe that. Jesus Christ arose from the grave three days after his death, and many, many people saw him. I believe that. Jesus Christ is alive, and he is the rightful Lord over everyone. I believe that. So one should repent, turn from their sins, trust in Jesus as their Savior, and follow Jesus as their Lord. I believe that. Believing all these factual things, and yet like that little girl, feet still on the concrete, looking at it from the outside. 
So during the illustration, we got the little girl, we put her in the hammock. When her feet left the concrete and her full weight was carried by the hammock, then she was believing in the hammock in the Christian sense. That's Christian belief. Persuaded entrustedness. I believe all that is true and I give myself over to it. It's when your feet leave the concrete of all the other hopes, of all the other ways of life, that's when you're believing in Jesus Christ in the way he calls you to. Enduring satisfaction is only found in Jesus. We only receive this enduring satisfaction in Jesus when we believe in him in that way, when it becomes my repentance. I am turning from my sin and my former way of life. It's my forgiveness. I have received the cleansing of all my sins by Jesus Christ. It's my reconciliation with God. I have been reunited with my maker, with the God of creation who loves me. He is now my father. I can pray to him. I can hear from him in his word. It's now my new life. It's my eternal life. It's my resurrection from the dead in the future that I hope in. What does it look like to believe like this? And here's where we come to the Lord's Supper. It's like eating and drinking Jesus. It's like consuming Jesus. Now, that's a weird thing to say. Belief in Jesus Christ is like eating him and drinking him. And it sounded weird to them, too. In all the verses after what we've read, Jesus is explaining to them what he means, that he is the bread of life. And then when we get down to verse 52, actually, I'm going to read verse 51, though I don't know if it'll be projected. When he gets down to 51, he starts to make it a little more explicit. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. My flesh. What a gross-sounding word. I have to imagine the Greek word probably came across with the same sort of, ugh, your flesh. He's talking about like his, his, the meat of him. And they did not like it. Verse 52, the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? What is he talking about? This was not a normal concept to them. Interestingly, when they begin to back off a little bit at this, eat your flesh, gross. Jesus doesn't soften it. He doesn't say, come on, I'm I'm speaking metaphorically. He doubles down on the image, and he he continues to communicate it in even more gruesome, graphic, shocking detail. So Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh, there's that phrase again, feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, 
Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Now, if you grew up in church, you're familiar with the Lord's Supper, and you're familiar with this idea of it being like Jesus' body and Jesus' blood. But we have to try to strip away the familiarity and see it with fresh eyes, how shocking and most disgusting this must have seemed to these original hearers. As food and drink must be broken down and poured out for anyone to benefit from it, so Jesus' body would have to be broken and his blood poured out on the cross. They thought he was a humanitarian aid worker, there to bring food and sustenance relief, but he was there to be their savior. They wanted satisfaction for their hungry stomachs. He wanted satisfaction for their hungry souls. They wanted some bread. He wanted them to be reconciled to God, which was going to require his perfect sacrifice on the cross so that their sin could be paid for, atoned. They wanted religion without the cross. It didn't require him to die. But he wouldn't give it to them because that's what they absolutely needed. And we're tempted to want the same things. A Christianity that does not require the cross. A moral improvement boot camp. We're pretty good people, let's just get a little better. But that's not what Jesus offers. He offers his broken body, his shed blood, so that you can be fully forgiven and made right with God. The cross is the crux of Christianity, which brings us to the Lord's Supper. We come to the Lord's Supper regularly. Jesus taught us to do this so we can return to Jesus' body and blood to maintain our enduring satisfaction in him. If everything else is wrong in your life, but this is right. If everything else is wrong in your life right now, but you have this, you have been made right with God through Jesus Christ, and you have a completely clean record before a holy God, and you have his love as your father, then you're okay. Your biggest problem has been solved. We maintain our enduring satisfaction in Jesus by constantly returning to his broken body and his shed blood so that we can humbly and gratefully just receive afresh our forgiveness. Having been reconciled to God, given eternal life, promised resurrection from the dead. So as we turn to the Lord's Supper now, the question for us to ask ourselves is, are we finding enduring satisfaction in Jesus? Are you finding enduring satisfaction in Jesus? Or have you been led astray and led away and tempted away to try to find satisfaction in other things that just aren't designed to satisfy your soul and leave you hungrier than before, thirstier than before? Are you finding enduring satisfaction in Jesus? Let him redirect you as we pass these elements. Let him lead you to repent and turn from these things. Lead you to trust in him, to believe. Now, the Lord's Supper is for baptized believers who have no unrepentant sin in their lives. Okay, so it may not be that everybody in the room should partake of the Lord's Supper. It's for baptized believers who have no unrepentant sin in their lives. I say baptized because I believe that needs to come first. Baptism is sort of like the marriage ceremony. The Lord's Supper is sort of like the vow renewal. 
Now, I always say that you don't have to be a member of this church to partake in the Lord's Supper, and that's absolutely true. You just have to be a member of the kingdom of God, the capital C church. But I will say I've become increasingly convinced of the importance of being a member of a local church. So I do want you to consider maybe if that's a move the Lord would have you to make in the near future. We need to be committed to one another like a kite needs a string. Without formal commitment, it's just too easy to let go of it all. But the main thing is that you be a baptized believer without unrepentant sin. So if you need to get baptized, come talk to me about it. If you have unrepentant sin, use this time. We've got some time and space, some breathing room for you to pray through that with the Lord. Something the Holy Spirit's been trying to convict you of that you've been justifying. Uh, Some hidden sin that no one knows. God knows. And he wants you to come out of the darkness into the light. That's what Jesus purchased for you on the cross. So we'll pray together and then I'll invite the deacons to come forward and we'll start the Lord's Supper. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Help us to believe in him. There are many forces at work to keep us from believing in him as we should. Help us to fully entrust ourselves to him, to take our feet off the concrete, to relax into all the promises you give us in Jesus. Thank you for offering to us through him reconciliation with you, eternal life, and resurrection. As we take these simple little elements, little piece of bread, little cup of juice, Lord, let it reconnect us with the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord. Amen.